Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Cynthia Cherish Malloran, Reverend and DJ Cherish the Love, and you are listening to Primary Food on Heritage Radio Network. So before I forget, let me tell you how to reach out to me and get my attention on social media. It's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at DJ Cherish the Love, and that is spelled love, L-U-V, and hashtag using primary food. Heritage underscore radio and hashtag RevLove. So welcome to today's episode of Primary Food. Uh, let's talk about what primary food is first of all. So what exactly is primary food? I learned this really great concept in nutrition school at IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, that the food you eat, you know, the stuff we put in our mouths and chew and enjoy, like the pizza I'm seeing this guy eat right next to us here at Roberta's. <laughs> That kind of stuff we put in our mouth and eat, we consider that secondary food. Primary food is everything else in life that nourishes us before we sit down and eat. And that's stuff like enjoying music, reading a book, hanging out with friends, travel, cooking food, a great job, creative expression, playing games with kids, exercise, stuff like that. And I am so glad that I learned this concept because it was the high quality primary food that I kept in my life while going through chemotherapy last year that kept me happy and healing my cancer. So you can call in live today. We are live a little 15 minutes late, so we're going to run to 7 p.m. Call in live at 718-497-2128. Again, that's 718-497-2128. So Primary Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network a non-profit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep Heritage Radio Network alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now, and I will totally love you forever. So today we're talking about when giving back nourishes you. And I have a wonderful guest here today with me. Her name is Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yay, it's so good to hear you through the, through the mic. It's like <laughs> getting used to it. Yeah, you'll, you'll be used to it in about three minutes, I promise. Rebecca Weiss uh, is a 46-year-old breast cancer survivor whose life changed completely when she was diagnosed as stage 3 in 2014. Um, That's right. Yeah, and you're a journalist? Mm-hmm. I'm a journalist and uh, communications professional. Communications. That's where we met. Yeah. Well, I think that um, anyone who's a journalist in this world and our current uh, economy has to find other ways to use words to make a living as well. Yeah. And actually, big shout out to Michelle Buteau. Oh, yes. Because that's how we met. At, the beautiful Michelle Buteau. At uh, the Michelle, Michelle Buteau's low budget talk show. Yeah. 
ads. (laughs) I guess that says something about us, that we met at a low-budget talk show. Um, I I think we're moving up. This may be mid-level? Yeah, we're we're mid-level. It's all good. It's all Mm -hmm. good. So I really want to talk about what your experience has been, how you're giving back, what you've created, your diagnosis. Okay. Because folks who've been listening, they kind of know my story. And yours mirrors mine in a lot of mm-hmm, ways. Mm-hmm. You were diagnosed just a year before me. Mm-hmm. You had your surgery. So you were like kind of testing the waters out yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. And I, and I really relate to even just what you said in the intro about primary food. Mm-hmm. Because I think that when you're busy and you have a career and you have a family and you're commuting, you make time to eat. But you don't always make time to nourish yourself in other ways. And for many years, I was the breadwinner for the family. My husband has his own business and works out of the home. So he was the one who uh, got kids to and from school and made sure that the household was running. And I really saw my role as providing the salary and the um, health insurance. And sometimes it felt like a real burden, but I just kept going, 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 going. And... um, you know, wasn't really looking for things that fed me as a person. And I was, uh, I was overweight and I was harried all the time. I was tired and I saw food as kind of, you know, reward based. Oh, I've had a bad week. I'm gonna indulge. And that diagnosis was, in, and I'm sure you understand, and anyone listening who's a cancer survivor understands, it's the worst day of your life, but it opens a door into a new life. And that new life for me is a million times happier, more joyful, and meaningful than the life before. I can say the same thing. Yeah. So let's take the, you know, let's dissect that. Why? Well, I walked around being afraid most of my life. Uh, I recently did a blog post on this. I I don't really like cliches, but sometimes they really fit. And the one that resonates for me right now is coming from a place of yes. My whole life was a place of no. No, that's not for me. No, I'm not going to accomplish that. No, nobody sees me. Nah. And I didn't really have a choice. All of a sudden, it was either fight or die. Literally. So what are you going to do? So um, I'm not going to say I turned around in one day and became this empowered, happy person. Uh, There was certainly a dark period of time. But I think when you really have to face you, what am I? Am I my hair? Well, clearly I'm not my hair. Am I my breasts? Uh Uh-uh. Still here, no breasts. Am I a person who has another 50, 60 years to accomplish all the things that I thought I would never get to? Mm, No, might only have five years. So that was really the door that opened. It said, okay, Rebecca, so if you're going to change or if you're going to continue, what are the choices that define the rest of your life? So everything changed. I I I just love this topic because... Actually, haven't sat down and spoken to anyone about the pre-diagnosis me mm-hmm. versus the post-diagnosis mm-hmm. me, how I operated, 
which obviously led to a diagnosis. And then I was like, whoa, I don't want this, you know, anymore. Right. So what do I need to change? But I don't even think for me, my changes, like you were no, you were no in the past. My version of that would be, I was really rigid. Mm. And I just was so about, that's not the right way to do right. things. Right. And after my diagnosis, it was kind of like, I need to relax. So something had to, you know, break in order for me to mm-hmm. just kind of spill everywhere and just mm-hmm. be like, chill the F out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, and I, you know, I still have a lot of the same default settings that I had before. You know, I, I, the process I go through when faced with a challenge or an opportunity may be the same. It may just be that I've learned a new dialogue with myself. So even just doing this today, I could tell you, three, four years ago, no. Oh, wow. Too self-conscious. Don't like my voice. What if I say something stupid? And now I might still have that thought, but I give myself a little moment to go, but what if you did it? Ah. How great might it be? How cool is that? That default out the window. It's it's still there. There's a remnant. I just have a another tool to mm. kind of nudge it a little. The the needle has moved a little bit. Where do you think or who taught you or how did you learn all of that no? You know, sometimes I think it's it's growing up a chubby kid. I think just and and honestly, I go back and look at photos and I'm like, who said I was chubby? But uh-huh. I wasn't skinny and I wasn't carefree about my body. Even I can remember five years old, you know, not wanting to wear a bikini or feeling like I wasn't pretty enough. And I think sometimes when and we fool ourselves because the truth is everybody has issues with their body or how they see themselves. But you think you're the only one. Oh, no, everything's so easy for them because they look like that. And I think I just excluded myself from certain things because, the again, the no thought, nope, that's not for me. Hmm. I, I just, I think that is so honest of you to admit that. And Thank how you. do you feel looking back at that? Do you feel like there was wasted time or do you feel like it was just the way it was to be so you so you can get to this place now? Like, how do you want to Oh, no, that? I feel like I've spent my whole life wasting time now. Ah, I mean, I, I got married in 2002 um, to the love of my life, and we were going to go to London for a honeymoon, but I was afraid to fly, and I might have been able to get through it, but I just started that job uh, with all the commuting and everything, and we put it off. I mean, we even got our passports, which both of us forgot, Um, for a number of years. And after my diagnosis, we talked about it and it was like, oh my God, let's go to London. What are we thinking? And we pulled out the passports and saw that they had been renewed in 2002 and we had both forgotten. So yeah, I feel like I wasted a lot of time. I said no to things that today I could tell you it would be a really resounding yes. Wow. So you nourish yourself differently. Completely. Completely differently now. I've let, I've let all of that identity wrapped up in my appearance go. I love clothes and I love lipstick. And, and I, but I do those things now because it 
makes me smile when I see myself. Not because I'm covering something or I'm worried about how other people will judge my appearance. You mentioned earlier something about talking. Uh, we were talking about eating and, and nourishment, and it sounded like there's a difference between just eating and nourishment. How would mm-hmm. you define that? Well, I will say that one of the things that changed in our family completely just around the same time as my diagnosis is that we joined our local farm share. And we started getting this box of fresh vegetables and fruit every week. And, you know, as busy parents, we have two um, school-age kids. We were really ordering in pizza every night. We were um, indulging in takeout all the time, dumplings. I love Chinese dumplings. And, you know, I think when you get a diagnosis, you immediately take an inventory. What am I eating? What lotions am I putting on my body? I mean, somebody told me about paraben-free Shampoo, and I had never even heard the word parabens before. It was just not on my radar. So, you know, I did look at food as kind of the the hidden culprit here. I I thought, oh gosh, it must have been because my cancer was um, estrogen and progesterone um, related. It must have been all of the hormones in the milk or the chicken. So I really kind of embraced this farm share as kind of a safe place. You know, this was locally grown, in some cases organic, um, food that I could feel good about eating. And it became, obviously during chemotherapy, when appetites and certain smells and things are affected, it became about trying different things um, and feeling, instead of full or overfull or feeling nourished. Maybe for the first time in my life, you know, that certain foods make you feel satisfied in a, in a way other than I'm going to eat and eat and eat until, you know, I feel like my pants are going to burst. <laughs> How would you say food affects self-esteem? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're kind of trained uh, to look at some foods as good foods and some foods as bad foods. And even though we try with our kids, uh, who are now six and eight, not to paint that picture, they get that message. They -hmm. just get it. It's, you know, my son will come home and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is eating Doritos with his lunch. And I'm like, look, that's his choice or that's his family's choice. Let's not judge. But they get, like, the better it tastes or the more, you know, um, colorful or, or... Uh, chemically enhanced it looks um that's the bad food and the you know dad's stir fry with chicken and broccoli that's the good food um but we we really do focus on eating real whole foods with them as much as possible i just think that i can remember as a kid and even as an adult just saying i really really want that pepperoni pizza and then the guilt that would come from eating it. So it's kind of a catch-22, right? Mm -hmm. If you really let yourself indulge in something delicious, whether it's savory or sweet, then on the back end, you feel bad about eating it. Well, what's really cool about this concept of primary food is you can gain nourishment, emotional, Mm -hmm. and all of that by maybe preparing that food yourself. The idea of sitting and making a pizza with your family versus just ordering it in 
perhaps can balance things like that. Now, you have two kids. I went through treatment. I have one dog. <laughs> you went through treatment with two kids. Uh, what was parenting through treatment like? You know, that's a great question. And I'm sure everyone, again, everyone handles this differently. So um, I don't want to speak from, you know, all moms perspective. I had this assumption after the diagnosis. So I guess my kids were three and five when I was diagnosed, but then they had birthdays sort of right around that time. So they were, you know, a little bit older. I thought we just wouldn't tell them. I thought we'll just keep things going. They have their routine. Again, my husband was the primary parent, so there wouldn't be any disruption with who was picking them up and dropping them off. And, you know, I'll explain that I lost my hair for some reason. And I remember telling this to this social worker at the cancer center. And I said to her, and then one day when they're grown up, they're going to say to me, Mom, what was that? Was that like breast cancer? Hmm. And I'll go, yes, honey, that was breast cancer. And the, um, <laughs> and the uh, social worker said, I don't think that's going to work. Hmm. And I said, really? And she said, I think they're going to know. And I think that you either tell them or they're going to ask you. Wow, that's okay. So I have a, uh, an incredible five-year-old niece. Right. I was diagnosed two years ago. So she was three. She and my mom shaved my head. She was tiny, really tiny. And she was holding the clippers. I have a wonderful Aww. picture. And of course, I'm thinking, I'm not going to tell her what this is or what's going on, you know. I'll just let her shave the last strands of hair. As she started to shave, because I was trying to make it like a fun primary food activity for the generations in the family, she starts to shave my hair and she starts crying because mm. she knew something was wrong. You know, she just knew, like, why is Auntie Cynthia, like, losing her hair and why am I shaving it? But she didn't say anything. She just cried and I held her and she rest her head I'll never forget she rest her head on my shoulder in the most injurious way like she was so just didn't understand the hurt feeling she was having so this is a bit over two years ago just last month I have my hair back <clears throat> I'm laughing I'm great I'm doing great she's sitting on my lap and she says Auntie Cynthia why were you sick <sighs> so they know yeah, they know and it's true, when I spoke to them about it, and the social worker helped me with some language, you know, to describe, you know, mama's going to have a very strong medicine, and, and one of the side effects is that her hair will fall out. Um, it's funny, when I finally, you know, just sat down and said it to them, and again, in a very calm, and, and like you were doing, you know, this is just a, a, a another day, we're doing something together, Um they must have seen, which is weird because we don't watch a lot of TV, but they must have seen some public service announcement where a woman is lying in a hospital bed with a scarf on her head. Oh. Because when I said to my daughter, well, I might wear a scarf or I might wear a wig. She said, oh, like that lady who's sick in the hospital in the commercial. Wow. So I, I do think it was a good thing to get out in front uh -huh, instead uh -huh. of waiting for them to have those thoughts. And maybe another thing the social worker said is they may not trust you if they think you're lying to them or you're covering something up. 
that might send a message that they can't ask or that. Oh, that's pretty deep. Yeah. That's actually very deep. Yeah. So. I, wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So we, we just got out in front of them. You know, you let them know that they can come and ask questions, which they did. But I think this is a thing about about having small children. And I'm sure uh, you've seen this with your niece. They want to have a job. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. Absolutely. They behave so much better when you give them a job. Yeah. You know, when they've got nothing to do, that's when you have a problem. Just don't so, pay them. Right? <laughs> right. Well, well I we don't pay them that later. money. I pay them cookies. Yeah, go back and ask that social worker <laughs> about that. But, um, you know, there was a lot of things they could help with yeah. when I was going through treatment. Yeah. And they brought me, you know, a glass of water oh. or they... I took advantage you know, of this. Yeah. My, my niece was folding... Towels and oh, things for me. <laughs> I was making her do stuff. Now, it's, you mentioned, <clears throat> now I'm thinking about how the kids act when you are upfront versus not upfront. If you speak to them, then they have less questions or they process it at home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like this experience I had at the supermarket, <laughs> you're going to love this. I was online and, and my hair was very thin. Very, very thin. Probably the thinnest. It was just before my niece and my mom shaved my head. I'm standing in line. In front of me is a, a young child and mom. And I look down at the kid. Kid looks up at me. He looks up at me and I smile. And you know what he says to his mom? This is fantastic. Mommy, is she going to die like grandma? <laughs> and I looked down and I said to him, no, I'm so not going to die. <laughs> So communicate with the kids so they're not processing out <laughs> online. Just, Rebecca loves that. She's like, that's so I, dark. I love it. You know, <laughs> I wish I had a good comeback for that. Um, because the truth is that kid will never know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but I'm sure. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sure. I'm sure my kids did say inappropriate things because... Whether you're in front or not, I you you have to kind of allow for the kid non-filter. But I actually I have to be honest. I, I would really embrace that experience so much more than the. I noticed that you have a scarf or a wig, and something mm. is wrong with you. And I'm going to talk to you like everything that comes out of my mouth mm-hmm. is a result mm-hmm. of the fact that mm-hmm. you remind me of someone I knew who died and. And and the pity and the, the you know scared part yeah, is yeah. is is yeah. the scary stuff is yeah so I'd almost rather just have them say it than those vague oh dear how are you well I don't really know you and I'm not going to get into it you know but this is this leads me into going public about mm-hmm. illness you know some people do some people don't. Some people don't even, like you said, communicate it 100% to their kids. Now, for you, obviously, you're on the air. <laughs> you're talking about it. This is going to be archived. Kids will be able to listen to it. Mm. Tell me what you your thoughts are on going public and and people not doing it and why that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a personal well, choice. As I said, I, I work in communications, and I like to live my life out loud. I always kind of have, although if you, I swear, if you go back and look at my Facebook posts from before I was diagnosed, it's just one long <laughs> list of complaints about things oh. that I wish were the problems I had today. 
Oh my god, like, that's like my old journals before my uh, diagnosis. I was like, who like, is this bitch? I really thought <laughs> I really thought that that crappy car that I drive every day to the train and back was the source of my unhappiness. <laughs> or, you know, gaining weight or something like that. I mean, I just those problems seem like blessings uh to me now. But yeah, so I I I wondered if it was tacky to put it out on Facebook. I think that I was really the first of my friends to go through this. I know, of course, I won't be the last, just given the statistics. And just something propelled me to put it out there. I think it was after the first couple of chemo treatments and I was bald. I just kind of shocked everyone by putting up a picture with no hair. And I... I really just wanted to feel the love coming back, cherish the love. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, though, the love I was thinking of was L-O-V-E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the love I was um, thinking was chocolate. Oh, <laughs> chocolate love. Um, and it felt great. You know, I put this post up and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I'm so concerned. But what really interested me was I heard from and I continue to hear from a good number of people in my life mm. who are in treatment or just out of treatment who are not public. Uh, and that's not just breast cancer. I mean, and f- you know how Facebook is. It's a former coworker, a friend from junior high school, a camp friend. Um, and I, you know, and sometimes they come to me and just say, I wish I could be public, but I'm worried about losing my job or, you know, it's embarrassing to me. So, I'm glad I did it because I've connected with all of those people privately and, you know, so many wonderful things have come as a result of not just my change in, in perspective for my life, but by being public about it, opportunities like this opportunities, you know, to, to take part in volunteerism um, I started a nonprofit that helps other breast cancer patients. So I feel like it was the right thing for me. But just like everybody gets to make the decision about what course of treatment they choose or what food they eat and all of that, I completely respect people who stay hush hush about it. I totally agree with that. You know, we're going to talk about how you found joy after overcoming cancer and what you've created after getting a diagnosis and, and you know this change of life we're going to do a little bit of a a, a music breather um, we're going to hear from our sponsor and then we'll, we're going to dive right into all of that
Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. So I'm here with Rebecca Weiss. Uh, We're going to continue our talk about her experience with breast cancer, what she's created from it, how she's overcome fear after cancer. So she is a journalist, corporate communications professional. In 2015, you started Bob's Boxes. That's mm-hmm. uh, a 501c3 nonprofit that sends post-mastectomy care packages to women with breast cancer. So it's, now you're giving back. Right. So let's talk about how giving back is actually nourishing you and, and how you couldn't give back and nourish other people and yourself without this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's alchemy right there, I feel like. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, Well, I think when you're unhappy, when you're just kind of following one step in front of the other through your life, um, the idea of helping others just seems out of the question. I mean, how am I going to help someone, aside from maybe writing a check for a walkathon or something, you know, when my life, what about me? What about, you know, my problems? Uh, so, you know, that idea of giving back really never appealed to me or occurred to me aside again from maybe writing a check here or there for a worthy cause. And, um, while I was going through my treatment, unfortunately, my father was diagnosed with brain cancer And um, it's interesting. My father was a prostate cancer survivor. And it turns out that he had the BRCA1 genetic mutation, which can cause in women breast and ovarian cancer and in men mostly prostate, but also melanoma and colon cancer and other things. And I inherited this mutation from him. So we had this in common, but we didn't know because it's not a test that's commonly given because the test costs something like $3,000 and... No one knows, but most people are familiar with it because of Angelina Jolie. So my father was a survivor, and I think about 10 years. And here I was going through all of my treatment, which was a big drama for my parents and my loved ones because I was relatively young and it seemed to have come out of nowhere. And so dad started acting odd, and eventually we realized it was because of this brain tumor. So I finished my full course of treatment chemo, surgery, and radiation on January 2nd, 2015. And my father died uh, February 3rd, 2015 Mm. from a brain tumor. So it was just like a double whammy. And for me, I think in my recovery, in some ways it was a good thing because it kind of took my focus off my own drama of treatment and recovery because I, you know, had to kind of pull it together and be there for mom and give the eulogy and all of that. But I soon found, maybe within a, a month or so, that I was going to drown in this grief. That mm. it was not just everything I had lost, but really, you know, when you lose a parent, 
it changes part of your identity. You're now no longer that person's child. You know, that's a big thing. And I just needed to channel this emotion into something. And what struck me at his funeral and the Shiva afterwards and and letters and emails from people were stories about how my father had been generous towards other people. I mean, yes, he was funny and witty and, and, and good at lots of things, but this was the kind of essence of my dad. He gave, and he, he was on to something, which I'm not sure because he was kind of a reserved guy. He never said to me, hey, kid, find a way to give. It feels really good. That should be a T-shirt. But, yeah. <laughs> well, and I look, I talk about this sometimes with other survivors, and I think that we've all kind of discovered something, which is when you're helping someone else, you're also helping yourself, right? And there's the nourishment. Right. Okay. So I had met a couple of people in my community and, and through various connections who were going through the same thing that I was going through or had just finished going through. And I thought, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put together a little something for that person. Maybe all the little things that helped me recover from my surgery, because that's the toughest time. At least it was for me. And I thought, well, you know, it should have a button front pajamas because you can't lift your arms over your head Mm. after surgery. And it should have an underarm pillow and it should have this amazing, I mean, I don't want to endorse any brand on the air, but this amazing surgical tape residue remover that Mm. I found called Detach All, which saved my life because the taping is just unbelievable afterwards. So I did this for a couple of people and they said to me, oh my gosh, I just, this was so wonderful. I loved it so much and I felt really good. I thought, oh my gosh. So these are like cancer care packages, basically. Yeah. And uh, they're specific specific to mastectomy. You know, it's, it's that specific. But, you know, I think anyone going through surgery or a difficult time like that would um, would benefit. And one of the things in the boxes is a handmade underarm pillow in the shape of an owl. And I, <laughs> I it was just, that. it was like a kismet thing. I had been at like a street fair in my town when I was going through treatment and I saw these owls and I knew I had a friend in San Francisco who was going through treatment and I bought one for myself and one for her. <laughs> and then after my mastectomy, I was lying in bed, which is itself a huge feat just getting in and out of bed and I was trying to get enough cushioning under my arm but not too much and I look over and there's that little owl I bought <laughs> and I just shoved that shoved puppy the owl in under your... <laughs> my arm and I was like holy cow so now I had to find the woman who made them so you source these items create yep. the box yep. sell the boxes we we give them away give them away where can people find this online? It's on, uh, my website is bobsboxes.org. And uh, we've sent out over 260 in a year and a half. Incredible. Please check this out and donate so that, you know, the more you donate, the more boxes can go out. Yeah. That is so Thank incredible. You. Now I understand, like, what the Bob's boxes are. I didn't want to ask too many questions pre-show because it spoiled the <laughs> curiosity. And for the myself. owl became I the logo the, oh, and everything else. So. I love that. Now you have appeared on the Today Show, 
Parents Magazine and, yes. and the book Live Happy, and, and you serve as a model of courage in Ford's Warriors in Pink campaign. Yeah. All, all from this. All from this. So again, with the incredible things, you know, the doors open after a diagnosis like this. Now, you also created something called One Good Thing Project. Yeah. And, and I'm really all about this. This okay. is fantastic. You have to tell, <laughs> tell the world about this project. Okay. And this is how we met, because I put up my, my cornrows photo on <laughs> One Good Thing Project, and you saw it there. So basically, the Jewish mourning period um, consists of a year. So on the one-year anniversary of my father's death, so February 3rd, 2016, the official mourning period ended. But anyone who's lost a loved one will tell you the mourning doesn't end at that moment. And I, again, was looking for a way to honor my dad, but also kind of keep myself in good spirits. And I thought, what if I just post one good thing every day in his honor. I started an Instagram account. It's at one good thing project. And it could be anything. It could be like just a great cup of tea. And that's one spelled out. Oh, O-N-E. O-N-E, yeah. right. And, you know, and sometimes it's I'm on the Today Show. Woohoo! Um, one good thing. But every day, and I will tell you this, there are days when it is hard to find a good thing. You're in bed with the flu, you know? Bendy straws, I think, were a good thing one day. Oh, wow. That's I love bendy yeah. straws. But I think that here's, I mean, in a nutshell, what I learned. If you're looking, you start to notice all of the good things. So that's surprising, right? Because yeah. you don't think, like, as, you're, as you've gone through grief, treatment, cancer, surgeries, that they, you can still possibly find good things, but you actually end up finding more. So why is that, you think? Yeah, I think we, again, it's, it's how, you, how you're looking through those eyes, right? Um, what's the lens through which you're, you're looking? Is it, oh, God, I'm <laughs> late for work. Let's call or, that the misery lens. Yeah. Or is it, well, I'm running late for work, but look at that billboard. What is that? I need to know more about that. You know, and I just, it really helped uh, with the grief, for one thing. Um, But there would be times when I would ask people to share their good things, and those would always just make me laugh or smile. And now, actually, it's the project continues, and I have guest posters now. Oh, that's wonderful. um, So... A bunch of my friends volunteered, and each is taking three weeks. So, and look at how you, you know creating that is like your way of giving back, and how it's really nourishing people in like exponential ways. Yeah. Do you have any very funny pictures or posts? <laughs> I'm looking well, at one called Bob's Waffles. Yeah. The <laughs> first post was a picture um, of waffles that my kids decorated to look like my dad. My dad had that great like <laughs> old guy mustache, like the white hair and the white mustache. And that's why there's whipped cream on these yes, waffles. They <laughs> all involve whipped cream. Some have chocolate chips. Some have strawberries. No, you know, I think what's funny I, I don't know if I can think of one in particular that's funny. I think that in general it was funny sometimes to go back and look at how many were food related or how many were <laughs> You know, uh, I'm lying in bed, but it's good related. Um, 
you know, Mike and I, fi- my husband and I finally went on that trip to London. I mean, what were we waiting for? Yeah. And, um, you know, oh, you that were waiting was... for cancer. <laughs> Obviously. You needed the cancer stamp in your passport. You know, and, <laughs> and that trip was actually before I started the One Good Thing Project. But once I was doing it, I was like, can I go back and post photos of London now? And I had to set up, like, rules for myself. Well, that you doesn't really cheated. count. Oh, I know. God. Horrible, horrible. I know. <laughs> I mean, what do you think that you've learned in closing? Yeah. You know, what do you think you've learned a main theme from this cancer diagnosis? I just think that you... First of all, I hope that no one else has to have cancer to get to the place where I am. I say that all the time. It is not too late, you know. I the the big thing I learned is you know, I'm <laughs> cell phone ringing. Uh the thing I've learned Very is Very popular here. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I've learned is I'm just me. I'm just this person. I'm not, again, I'm not my appearance. I'm not my body parts. I'm not my, you know, job. And that's, and what I am is good. What I am is good enough. What I am is one good thing. And I don't have to feel, you know, compromised because um, I drive a crappy car or, you know, I commute to work every day and it's a bummer. I, I just, all those problems may still be there. They just don't weigh me down. Let's, let's end this episode with a tip for people on how to, if they're having a bad day, how do you, how do you search for or find a good thing? Oh, honey, it's music, isn't it? I mean, music is one way. I mean, have you ever noticed that yeah, you're you're walking down the street with your headphones on and like some, you know, Bright Eyes song comes on and you're like, oh, <laughs> remember that day. And, you know, and then if you just flip it and you put on, I don't know, I can't, you know, some any kind of cheesy 80s song does it for me. <laughs> but, you know, all of a sudden you're walking down the street, you're on the same street, you're the same person, but music does it's that completely for me all the different. Time. So. Yeah. That's where I start. If I'm having a kind of a gray day and I do the practice myself of, okay, look for something to balance this. Not to like erase it because you can't really erase it. That would be kind of psyching yourself out in a weird way. So I just look around and I just look look for color. Yeah. And usually, wherever I find color, there's something pretty fun, cool, uh, cute attached to it. And I look for animals. Yeah, it's funny. I animals and small children can I saw a really crack you up. Waving at me. <laughs> okay, so I live in Stuyvesant Town in the East Village, and we have black squirrels. It's pretty pretty interesting. I was not feeling so great, and I'm like, all right, I'll look for animals. Usually, we see dogs because there are dogs walking all around the place, but they're humans. And I see a squirrel scratching the air at me. <laughs> you know, I will say. <laughs> And it was one of the black squirrels? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe those just only exist where you are. No, it's pretty, I've never pretty, seen yeah, a black squirrel. Just come, they're really like known to be there. Okay. Yeah. I, and they I, wave. I do, <laughs> I do. I do. I mean, I haven't had that experience. <laughs> but I will say one thing I like to do when I'm walking down the street in the city, because I, I do that a lot, is, um, is just smile at strangers. And sometimes... They smile back and it feels really warm. You're like, mm, 
time we had a moment. And sometimes they think you're insane, which is fun, you know, because then you can like really give them a funny face. And you're like, mm, they we already had a different kind of moment. They already think you're crazy. So, yeah, I, I enjoy doing that. It's very disarming because, you know, they're not expecting it. It says a lot to someone who can receive a smile from a stranger. I think it really does. Yeah. I mean, when I was pregnant, I thought, oh, I'm going to pass other pregnant women on the sidewalk and we're going to give each other a knowing nod. And then I would find those women didn't even want to make eye contact with me. What, like a fist bump or a belly bump? Like, oh, I'm part of a club. (laughs) No. So I, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, somebody is walking toward me and, and our eyes meet and you're supposed to just look away. And instead, I just smile. And I think smiling is a really great way of giving back also. You know, when you have a little bit of joy and you give that, I mean, if you make someone else smile because you smiled, hopefully they make the next person smile. And and that's the theme of like this entire episode, just like that kind of give, 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 give. Even though it's coming from a place where a little bit of tragedy perhaps, but if you can see the good in the rest of life, then I think that's the best way to survive. Yeah. Well, listen, none of us are going to get out without tragedy. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, I mean, how are you going to deal with it? Right. And none of, none of us are going to get out without tragedy. That is true. And um, that's the perfect way to end <laughs> this podcast. We can smile. <laughs> We're ending it smiling. Thank you so much. Rebecca for being here. Thank you. We, we are so, I'm so grateful that we met so we could talk about this. We, we really are so in the same boat of just like understanding life post. And it's like just the rest of our lives going to be just like more happy than it, than it ever was. At least that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. And let's take as many people with us as possible. Yeah. High five. And everyone who's listening, if you have any kind of curiosities or feedback, and again, where do we find you online, uh, social yeah. media? So I'm on Twitter at, at Bob's Boxes. My website, again, is bobsboxes.org. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Bob's Boxes and also at One Good Thing Project. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, Primary Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food, health keep, Heritage Radio Network alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now, right? (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.